0: To see and understand your frailties and your weaknesses. And there are times where you can just feel like dying. And you're not alone in that. But you know what? Know this. That there needs to be a dying that takes place. (laughs) So that people can clearly see the Lord high and lifted up. And not you.
1: Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figgs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of First Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff.
0: Teaching out Psalm 22. I still have the tape upstairs in a drawer hidden away. And I remember that I, I just, I was so afraid. I just about made myself sick. And we were agonizing it and going over it and going over it. Well, I gave that teaching, and I thought it went pretty well. Uh, I thought whew, that went okay, but there was a man in the fellowship. He he was a very intelligent man. He was he was a nice man. As a matter of fact, he be, he was, ended up being a friend of mine. He had a PhD in in education and worked for the school district. And he was one day. He loved the Lord. But he had a personality that he was brutally honest. And I remember about a month or two after I taught that first lesson that he came to me and he said, you know what, when you spoke on that lesson, it was the first time that he had been to that church, he said, I couldn't understand a word you said. I couldn't understand anything. And he was trying to be nice about it, but I remember hearing that and I thought I was going to die. I, I really did. I thought, no way will I ever, ever do that again. And that was truly my thought, and that was my determination. Well, it would be some months later that, that Brian said, you know, would you come teach for me again? I'm going to be gone on a Wednesday night or whatever it, it might have been. And I wanted to say no, and I wanted to say, didn't you listen to, you know, the first time I taught? And... But I was too embarrassed to. And so he asked me, and you know I didn't want to say no and let him down. and it was, it was a little bit like Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Remember Jeremiah in chapter 20, he said, I'm not going to speak anymore. Now when he said that, he was frustrated with the people. When I said that, I was frustrated with myself. But Jeremiah went on to say, but the word of the Lord burned within me, in my heart, and it was in my bones, and I was weary of holding it in and holding it back and I could not, and that's the way I was, so I did it again. And then a few months later did it another time. My point is as I stand here today before you as a testimony of 1 Corinthians chapter one verses twenty seven through twenty nine. And if you ever come to the point of your life where you think, I can't be used to the Lord because I'm not eloquent enough of a speaker, I'm not smart enough, I'm not important enough, if you think that, enough, okay? Because God comes along now and He says, understand this, that I use the weak and foolish things of the world And one thing that I have learned over the years of ministry is this, that you can never be too small to be used of the Lord. But I have learned also that you can be too big. That is too big for your own good. To think that I can rely on my own intellect, my own abilities, my own togetherness, whatever it might be. And God desires to use you in whatever he's called you to do in the gifts he's given you, and again, where he has placed you, an opportunity he's given to you. He's doing the work in you. That when people see that, they say, there's nothing special about them. But look what God is doing, and then he gets the glory. And none of us have any reason to glory in and of ourselves. It is him that gets the glory. And you might be here thinking, all I want to do is be able to, to grow in being a, the man or the husband or the father that he's called me to be, or the woman of God he wants me to be, or the wife and the mother, that, again, it's the work that he does in you and through you. In your life, in every area of your life, in the ministry that he has for you. And then people look at us foolish and weak individuals that God is using, and again, he gets the glory. I love Acts chapter 4. The the apostles, after the the... The church is born on the day of Pentecost, and people are getting saved in Jerusalem by the thousands. And after that healing of Peter and John, of the lame man there at the temple, they arrest Peter and John. They bring him before that religious council called the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, made up of the religious elite there in the nation of Israel, made up of of Sadducees and Pharisees, 70 members. And they told Peter and John, Stop preaching the name of Jesus. And they said, no. If we have a choice between obeying God and man, we're going to obey God. And how can we not talk and speak about the things that we have heard and seen? We're going to speak the name of Jesus. They said, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine with the name of Jesus. And they would respond by saying, there is no other salvation, no other name under heaven given among men by we must be saved. And when it The Sanhedrin Council saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Acts chapter 4. They marveled, and they realized they had been with Jesus. I love that, because here's Peter and John, these fishermen from Galilee, untrained and uneducated, but they marveled and perceived that they had been with Jesus. You see, you in your life, you keep drawing close to Jesus, keep growing in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you know what? You will find that you're going to be used for the Lord. And then He will be exalted, not you. He gets the glory. And the Corinthians needed to know that as well as us, needed to understand that this very important principle that God has given to them quit focusing on an individual, quit (laughs) gathering around a, a man. Apollos with his great oratory skills and Peter the first among the apostles and Peter and we're going to separate ourselves. You focus and center around Jesus Christ and know this, that God chooses the foolish things to put to shame the wise and the weak things to put to shame the mighty. God uses simple ordinary people like us so that no man will glory in his presence. I love the story of Gideon in chapter 6 through 8 of the book of Judges. Most of you know that story, how Gideon The angel comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you to lead the children of Israel against the Midianites. And Gideon is there in a cave hiding from the Midianites. You see, the Midianites have been coming for a number of years at harvest time and taking the harvest from the children of Israel, holding them in bondage. They had this new secret weapon that was called the camel So they would come in and carry off the the goods. And and they were afraid, the children of Israel. So there's Gideon up in the hills in a cave threshing wheat when this angel shows up and says, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's probably going, me? Who, me? And he responds by how? By saying, I'm of the tribe of Manasseh. We're the least of the tribes of Israel. And our family is the least in the tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my family, And you're talking and calling me mighty man of valor? The angel says, yes, Gideon, the Lord's going to use you to lead the children of Israel against the Midianites. And so the Midianites gather, 135,000 across the valley. Gideon calls the troops down. He blows the trumpet. 32,000 men come down, and 32,000 men respond to the call against 135,000 of the Midianites and their fast camels. And the Lord says to Gideon, Gideon, 32,000 is too many. You're going to take the glory for yourself. So you tell the guys, whoever is afraid, that they can go on home. So Gideon says, hey, the Lord says, if any of you are afraid, you can go home. So 22,000 put their tails between their legs and they take off. So that leaves 10,000. 10,000 against 135,000 of the nights, And the Lord says, Gideon, that's too many because when you get the victory, and I'm going to give you the victory, then you're going to glory in yourselves. And so what you do is have the men go down to the brook. And those who put their face in the water... You dismiss them. Those who cup the water, bring it up to their mouths and drink it. Those are the ones that I'm going to use. And I can just picture Gideon this scene. 10,000 guys going down there to the creek, and they're all, most of them, diving into the water, face first, drinking. 9,700 out of the 10,000 put their face in the water, and they're drinking. And Gideon's going, oh, no, look at all these guys. You, you go home, you go home. And then there's only 300 left that cup the water, and bring it up. And God says, those are the men I'm going to use. 300 against 135,000. I used to think those 300 were the elite Israeli defense force guys, you know, just <laughs> these guys were bad. These guys were, you know, wrecking machines. You know who I think they were? I think they were the older guys with, you know, bad knees And, you know, the weight was getting the best of them. And they couldn't get down there, so they just kind of had to cup the water up to their face. That's who I think God was using. I really do. And Gideon's going, oh, no. You're going to fight. Yeah, Gideon, can you help me up here? And they get the victory. Because God gave them the victory. 300 ragtag renegades. Against 135,000 Midianites. Now that's one of the things I love about Calvary Chapel, and I think a lot of pastors can say that about their church. That I pray that as I look at 300 and I look at the size of our church, three, four hundred people that come here in totality, that don't think that we can't be used in a mighty, powerful way—just ordinary people like us—to be a light to this community in the surrounding area, which is over 100,000 people. And I would like to think that we're similar to Gideon's army, that we can be used of the Lord because he chooses the foolish and weak things of the world. Now, you contrast that with Isaiah chapter 6. You see, in Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah wrote this, that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. You see, you can read about King Uzziah in Second Chronicles chapter 26. Uzziah was only 16 years old when he became the king of Judah. He reigned for 52 years. That's a long time. He was a good king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The nation prospered while he was king. They were successful militarily. He defeated the Philistines, the other enemies, they came against the nation, the nation's borders expanded. He was even an inventor of military weaponry, second Chronicles chapter twenty six tells us. He was one that dug many wells there in Israel and the land of Judah and and for the vineyards and for the farmers, so there was much livestock. So not only were they successful militarily, but also economically and agriculturally. Second Chronicles chapter 26 tells us that his fame spread far and wide. He became very strong. He was a very incredible, very capable, intelligent king, one of the greatest kings that the house of Judah ever saw. His name was on the lips of everyone, all the people. Everybody looked to him. Everybody talked about him. And then something happened at the end of his life. Something happened. He became prideful. And the way he displayed that pride was he went into the temple there in Jerusalem. And he went into the holy place and he began to burn incense to the Lord. You say, So what? What's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal. Those of you who have gone through the book of Leviticus with us on Wednesday nights or read it yourself, you know that only the priests were allowed to go into the temple. And that was the ministry of the priest, not the king. So the priests come in and they say, Hey, Uzziah, you're a king, you're not a priest. You're not supposed to be doing this, burning incense to the Lord. And it was the response of Uzziah that said, Bug off, I'll do what I want to do. And he was struck at that time immediately with leprosy, and he ended up dying from leprosy. That's where Isaiah comes in. You see, when Uzziah would die, the people would wonder, he was such a great leader. He's been leading us for over 50 years. What's going to happen now? So Isaiah 6, that it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Now, why am I bringing this point out? Because I think there's a very important lesson and principle that relates to what Paul is telling us and telling the Corinthians. That if you are one that you're saying, look at my togetherness, my intellect, my abilities, my talents, look how capable I am. And pride begins to creep in. God will deal with you. He will deal with me. And as I mentioned to you, that I never ever want to have a following and emphasize the people that follow after me or exalt me or whatever it might be that this ministry is about me. It isn't about me. I just want to be simply a teacher of God's word and giving you understanding and teaching you to make sure that you're the best loved, best fed sheep in Greeley, by God's grace and by his working through me. But I want to point people past me and to him. And I've learned something. And I'm coming to, to learn more and more of this. Not let it bother me so much when I do stutter and stumble. and There's been times where I've walked off this platform, I thought, oh, I feel like dying i have learned this, that there needs to be a dying. There needs to be a dying to self and and pride and and self-reliance and all that. And when that takes place, then others can see the Lord high and lifted up. And the Lord will allow you, in whatever you do, in the ministry He's called you to do, To see and understand your frailties and your weaknesses and there are times where you can just feel like dying and you're not alone in that. But you know what? Know this, that there needs to be a dying that takes place (laughs) so that people can clearly see the Lord high and lifted up and not you. And how together you are and how great you are and let's exalt them or whatever it might be. You let the people see that you minister to, whether it's your children or small group or the children in the back, whatever it might mean for you, let them see the Lord high and lifted up. And so Paul here giving this wonderful Principle to us in truth that, that should bring us great comfort and encouragement in verse thirty. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who came for us wisdom from God in righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is as written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It, he's our wisdom, isn't he? He's the one that's brought salvation. I have not saved anybody. I can't bring forgiveness of sin, but it's through the work of the cross. And what Jesus Christ has done in bringing us redemption and salvation and sanctification, being set apart, it all comes from him and for him. He gets the glory. So chapter 2, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I glory not in my speech, but I glory on the cross in the finished work that he did for me. Paul didn't come as one of the Corinthian philosophers trying to stand in the streets, trying to persuade people by his oratory skills and excellence. Sometimes that plays such an important role behind many pulpits. It wasn't with Paul's pulpit. He didn't come with excellence of speech, but with the simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He didn't talk to them along the lines of the wisdom of men, trying to be all impressive and attractive in what he said. He knew that it was Christ and him crucified that was impressive and to attract people. He gave the good news of the gospel in real simple terms. Jesus loves you, died for you. Salvation comes by him. I think that sometimes that when we share with others, we think we can't because, you know, we're not complicated enough or we're not clever enough or whatever it might be. I don't know enough of the scripture. I don't have excellence of speech. And what Paul writes here should give us great encouragement. Because it's something that all of us can do. Proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And when you give that testimony to others, you can say, I do know this, that I understand that I'm a sinner. And my only hope is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came and died for me. Died for my sins. And He was put into a tomb and He rose again after three days. And he's my Lord and Savior, and he has saved me and forgiven me, and I have the hope of heaven. That's a simple message that all of us can give, a testimony of what God has done in our lives, and then also a witness to others that that is available for you as well as you surrender your heart to him. We see so much in the church today wanting to discuss the controversial issues and theological stances and much of the church has adopted the philosophical ideas of the world and all of this and what can we do to be relevant and all these different things and I understand some of it but you know what? May we never lose the simple message and what we are about in our own lives and here at Calvary Chapel and that is Jesus Christ in Him crucified. And that's what Paul said. I came with a simple message. Christ and him crucified. And so verse 3, I was with you in, in weakness and in fear and in, in much trembling. We know that when Paul first came to Corinth at the end of his second missionary journey, he says, I came in weakness and fear and much trembling. He had gone through a difficult time. I mean, he was in Philippi where he was beaten by rods, him and Silas, and thrown into prison. Then after that experience, he would go to Thessalonica where a riot would break out. He was run out of Thessalonica. Then he would go to Berea, and there a ruckus broke out in that city, and he was, had to leave Berea, and then he would go to Athens. And you recall in Acts chapter 17, he's addressing the, the philosophers there on Mars Hill, and a lot of them mocked him as he spoke about the resurrection. So he comes into Corinth. He comes into Corinth, and People began to get saved, and Crispus, as we talked about, the ruler of the synagogue came over and got saved. And Paul was afraid. And how do we know that? Because Acts chapter 18, the Lord comes to Paul and says, Don't be afraid, Paul. For I am with you, and no one's gonna hurt you in this city. Then Paul was able to continue then for a year and a half. So Paul had the promise of God's presence and his protection. I have many people that are in this city, Paul and the church would grow, and and people were getting saved in the city of Corinth. But it came with the simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. When I came to you, I was in fear and trembling and weak. He still had the bruises and the scars from that beating he took at Philippi. And he must have thought, with the church growing and people getting saved, they're going to come at me again. You know, we can go to our places of work, can't we? We can go to school. We can go and talk to those in the neighborhood or even those that we visit in our family. And, and we, want to, we want to give them the gospel. We want to witness to them. We want to share with them what Jesus Christ has done. But there's a weakness sometimes, isn't there? There's a bit of trembling and there's fear. We're afraid that our families will run us off. Or a cause of ruckus. Afraid those at work will begin to beat on us with words and make it difficult at work. All those things go through our minds, through our hearts. So, how is it that we can be effective messengers of the cross and Him crucified? Well, I think the next couple of verses are an encouragement, we'll end there this morning. In verse 4 My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You just depend on the Lord. And Paul essentially was saying, I didn't come with persuasiveness of words. I didn't come in my own abilities, my own cleverness, my own tactics and all of this. I came in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And you allow the Lord to work through you and in you to give you the opportunity to share with others. And as God is working in your life, you're going to be a witness in the way that you live your life. Because people are going to see the reality of Jesus Christ being worked out in you. And again, they, they look at us foolish and weak things, and God working, and God's strength and wisdom, and His joy being worked out in their life. And they're saying, man, what is it about you? And then through the Lord working in us, by the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, just simply working in us. It's the Lord. I belong to the Lord. I'm a Christian. And Jesus died for me, and I'm a new creature in Christ. I've given my heart to Him, and I'm forgiven. That's why I have such joy. That's why I can walk in wisdom, because I can know His wisdom. That's why I have a peace that is in my heart. That's why there seems to be that inner strength because the Lord gives me that strength. And there's that testimony and that witness that you can give to others, but it's the Lord working in you. So when you go to work or speak to that neighbor, when you visit family or when you go to school, whatever it might mean for you, you just allow the Lord to work in you and through you. You don't have to try to be so clever. I think sometimes, again, people think, I've got to be clever, I've got to come up with a scheme, or... You know, I've got to try to persuade them. And as I mentioned last week, I've never argued anybody into the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. If you are relying on your persuasiveness and, and your own wisdom and all of this, you know what can happen? Somebody else who's smarter than you, more persuasive than you, more clever than you, will come along and begin to lead them away. That's why you come with the simple message, Jesus, you look to Him.
1: Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.